You're listening to episode number 13 of the Keto Diet Podcast. Hey, I'm Leanne from healthfulpursuit.com and this is the Keto Diet Podcast, where we're busting through the restrictive mentality of a traditional ketogenic diet to uncover the life you crave. What's keto? Keto is a low-carb, high-fat diet where we're switching from a sugar-burning state to becoming fat-burning machines. If you're in need of keto recipe food prep inspiration, I've prepped a free seven-day keto meal plan exclusive for podcast listeners. The plan is complete with a shopping list and everything you need to chow down on keto for seven whole days. Download your free copy at healthfulpursuit.com forward slash keto meal. Let's get this party started. Hey guys, happy Sunday. If you're celebrating Christmas, I hope Santa was really good to you and that you're enjoying all the wonderful time that you're spending with your friends and family. And if you're not celebrating Christmas, I hope you're just having a rockin' holiday season. The awesome thing this week, and it's so perfect for this time of year because if you're making a turkey, you're gonna have like a carcass just sitting there and you can make broth. And I have been making this amazing rocket fuel bone broth, uh, the recipe is sort of on my blog on one of the instant pot posts that I've done in the past. Basically, you just take about one and a half cups, which works out to be about 350 milliliters of chicken, turkey, or bone broth, and you put it in the blender with two tablespoons of MCT oil, a scoop of gelatin, vital proteins gelatin, of course, and a pinch of finely ground gray sea salt, ground black pepper. And if you want to get a little bit crazy, you can add your favorite spice blend or some garlic or ginger, anything blend it up and it makes it really frothy and you can enjoy it by the fire or working in your office recording a podcast which is what I got right here it's so delicious what we're covering in today's episode is the effect that your microbiome has on your ability to become fat adapted the misconceptions surrounding protein on a ketogenic diet including talk about gluconeogenesis as well as chatting about how you can use a thing called protein ups instead of carb ups for your training or just feeling better on a ketogenic diet, as well as the importance of relaxation on a ketogenic diet in order to adapt and stay in fat burning mode. The show notes for today's episode can be found at healthfulpursuit.com forward slash podcast forward slash E13. Let's hear from one of our awesome partners. The podcast is sponsored by Paleo Valley, 100% grass-fed beef sticks, my new favorite gut-friendly clean protein snack. There are tons of new snack options on the market today, but nothing quite like Paleo Valley's grass-fed beef sticks. They are made from 100% grass-fed and grass-finished beef, which is really rare contains all organic spices, are all free of dyes, and are also carb-free, GMO-free, gluten-free, dairy-free, soy-free, and contain zero grams of sugar. But the big reason these beef sticks make me do the happy dance is that they're fermented. Yes, just like fermented vegetables. As a result, each beef stick contains 1 billion naturally occurring gut healing probiotics. They're super convenient, delicious, and great for your gut, so don't miss out. Exclusive to our listeners, Paleo Valley is providing 20% off all orders for a very limited time. You'll also be given first dibs on their brand new, insanely delicious garlic summer sausage and summer sausage flavors just like healthy mini hickory smoked sausages. Get your fermented 100% grass-fed beef sticks for 20% off by going to paleovalley.com forward slash keto. Load up your cart and the discount will be automatically applied. Again, that's paleovalley.com forward slash keto. So I got three announcements for you. Well, they're sort of like news updates. They're not really announcements. The first one is, and ties so perfectly in with the conversation today, is I've been under a lot of stress. It is a lot of work to write a book, run a business, be a person that also needs to take care of their body. And I found that my digestion was getting really funky. Oh, it's just brutal. So I chatted with my friend Kelsey at Fluid Movements. I used to go to her a long time ago for colon hydrotherapy. 
and Kelsey is an advanced certified colon hydrotherapist. Uh, she's been practicing for over nine years and we, you know, we were chatting about my digestion and I knew that I needed a colon hydrotherapy appointment. I've actually gone a couple of times now because my digestion is just a little bit funky. And the first place I notice stress is in my bowels. That's just the way it is. TMI maybe, but come on, we're all human. We all go through it. It's a thing. What I love about colon hydrotherapy is it just gets things moving very gently and it's not invasive at all in Canada here it's a lot more abundant than you know people in the U.S. I know that sometimes it can be hard to find but it's definitely part of my practice of taking care of my body I actually haven't had to do it like I was saying in quite a long time but them's the breaks and what I noticed after seeing Kelsey after a couple of times is just way less bloating way less pain in my gut area I'm regular again thank goodness my skin is clear so it just helped get things rolling again she's actually Actually going to be a guest on the show in the new year. So that's very exciting. We're going to be chatting more about gut health and colon hydrotherapy and how it can benefit you if it's something that you've been kind of curious about, but you're like, I don't even know, like what's the process? And it sounds kind of scary. We're going to be going through all of it because I know during my first appointment with her, I was so scared, but there's nothing to be scared about. And there's nothing to be ashamed about either. It's just another thing that you can add to your tool belt of things that perhaps can help you stay balanced. And today's guest and I chat in depth about the health of the bowel and making sure that you are eliminating frequently. So it ties in so well with today's chat. And the second thing I wanted to mention is that we had a guest on the show a couple of weeks ago. And while they didn't engage in any fat shaming on the show, I was brought to my attention that this guest did a little bit of fat shaming outside of the podcast. And they, these individuals that heard them say that, you know, sent me an email concerned about the quality of guests on the show. And while I would love to make sure that every guest follows, you know, exactly, you know, does all the things that I think would benefit everyone. I mean, I can't, I just can't. And I try to get guests on the show that will provide really solid information for y'all. But some people are going to do some crazy things. And just because they do those crazy things does not mean that I advocate that in any way. I think with any podcast or video, or a book that you read, you really have to pick um, the details that work well for you and leave the rest on the floor and really see these individuals that are sharing information as a vehicle of information. When I stopped getting so personal with the people I was listening to and really got attached to them as a person, it really helped me detach from all the emotions that can come up when they do something that I don't approve of or that I didn't work for me. So see all the information that we share on the podcast and everywhere on the blog and in my videos is just a vehicle for information and if some sticks that's great and if other things don't that's totally okay so know that I do not support fat shaming of any kind I'm a huge believer of the health at every size movement and and encouraging healthy behaviors. And that's the key thing. And then the third thing I wanted to chat with you guys about really quickly is that episode six of the podcast, I chatted a little bit about my new experiment and that I was going to be fasting a little bit more and making sure that I was eating enough and doing a little bit of carb ups, but not too many. It's actually going really, really, really well. In fact, it's phenomenal when you actually eat enough and set the intention to fast, it's a lot easier. Just yesterday, actually, I broke the fast around, I think it was like two o'clock in the afternoon, and I ate from like two to six, and then when I went to bed, I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't have anything before bed like I normally do, and that's been happening a lot. And I'm finding that when I do a carb up because of leptin and, and leptin being such a satiating hormone, when we are doing carb ups on a low carb eating style, it actually helps our leptin sensitivity, which has been proven time and time again with me because when I do a carb up, I can fast longer and better and stronger and I'm satiated and it's awesome. So it's actually going really, really well. Hopefully I'll be doing an update in the new year about all the things that I'm doing and how I'm manipulating what I'm eating because it's like an ongoing going thing. 
If you have an idea for a podcast episode or want to submit praise over and above your review, which you can leave by going to healthfulpursuit.com forward slash review, you can reach me at info at ketodietpodcast.com. Today's guest is Mike Musel. You guys might know him from High Intensity Health. He has a podcast. He's fabulous. He has a BS degree in cellular biology from Western Washington University and an MS in nutrition from University of Bridgeport, Connecticut. He has completed the Applying Functional Medicine in Clinical Practice, AFMCP course, and all six of the Advanced Practice Modules, APMs, at the Institute for Functional Medicine. Since 2008, Mike has broadcasted hundreds of webinars and video interviews on the latest integrative health developments and regularly speaks at seminars throughout the U.S., Canada, and Asia. He is the author of Belly Fat Effect, The Real Secret About How your diet, intestinal health, and gut bacteria help you burn fat. I've been following Mike for quite some time, so I was so honored that he was totally down for recording with me. The standard ketogenic approach says that moderate protein is key to the success of a ketogenic diet, and I wanted to have Mike on the podcast to kind of start a conversation that maybe that isn't part of the success, and in fact, when we're not eating enough, it's actually not a good thing. So I don't prescribe to that approach, and I find that so, so, so many women out there not eating enough protein on their ketogenic diet. So I wanted to have him on the podcast to chat all about high protein, low protein, moderate protein, gluconeogenesis, and all of that good stuff. So let's cut over to the interview. Hey, Mike, how's it going? Doing wonderful. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, you bet. We have a really exciting show. I got lots of questions for you. For listeners that may not be familiar with your work, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, you know, in brief, I've been in the functional medicine space for about 10 years and got interested in fitness. Like when I was just a little kid, I used to watch like Jean-Claude Van Damme and mm -hmm. Arnold Schwarzenegger movies and, and just had aspirations to be a bodybuilder. Never actually became a bodybuilder, but you know, my first year of college got my personal training certification. And back in 2001, when I graduated high school, I started working at a gym and while I was going through college and, and got introduced to all kinds of different diets, uh, one of which being the ketogenic diet. A lot of bodybuilders back then were, were using this and, and I was turned off, honestly turned off by it because their breath would smell bad and yeah, they would get lean and, and preserve lean muscle. But I didn't really, you know, we didn't know about the science and all, all the epigenetic effects and how it, you know, can influence cancer metabolism and, and all these beneficial things that we now know and I'm sure we'll talk about. So yeah, but that's kind of the backstory. And then, you know, went, went to college, got a degree in biology and then uh, landed in this field called functional medicine, which is, is kind of getting at the root cause of various diseases. And so I work with a lot of integrative, holistic doctors, pharmacists, naturopaths, chiropractors, and, you know, started uh, doing webinars for the, and, you know, lectures for these doctors in 2007, and then started the podcast in 2014 to kind of open up this information that we were kind of holding within this, this practitioner network to the world at large. And so that's kind of what, what, you know, a little bit about me and where I come from. Instant Pot, my personal favorite pressure cooker, is a partner of the podcast. With Instant Pot, you can make meals in minutes, truly. I was someone who was intimidated by pressure cookers, but I'm so happy I gave Instant Pot a try. It makes rich bone broths, hearty stews, and epic dishes just like your slow cooker does, but a lot quicker. I have the Instant Pot IP Duo 60, which pressure cooks, slow cooks, cooks rice, sautés, makes yogurt, steam and warms up food all in one. As an exclusive for Keto Diet Podcast listeners only, Instant Pot is offering everyone $50 off any Instant Pot of their choice. Simply go to instantpot.com, find the unit that best suits you, and use the coupon code KETO, that's all in caps, no spaces, for your $50 discount. Very cool. And what sort of protocol do you kind of gravitate toward for your own health? Yeah, Leanne, awesome question. You know, uh, I'm really excited about intermittent fasting and a, a ketogenic modified approach, you know, with focusing on, like, I, I think we share similar views here, uh, focusing on the gut, gut microbiome and phytonutrients. And so I'm not one of these people that have, you know, bacon and eggs, you know, I'll have eggs and a lot of kale and Swiss chard and curcumin and ginger. So my, my shtick is really 
because I wrote a book called Belly Fat Effect, which is all about gut bacteria and, and how our gut hormones affect metabolism and fat burning. And so, you know, I really think that, you know, well, and researchers agree with this, you know, philosophy that, you know, the, the bugs within our intestines outnumber the metabolic functions that are most metabolically active organ garners to our body. And so that's the liver. So our liver, you know, especially for women listening, I mean, it's involved in hormone metabolism, blood sugar regulation, synthesis of glucagon and, and uh, you know, glycogen and, and all the detoxification. There's so many things that our liver does. I mean, without our liver, we would be dead, you know, and in a very short period of time. Well, it turns out that this ecosystem that we call our gut microbiome offers our the human body as much or more metabolic functions as the liver. And so it's very important to kind of keep that engine, that, that microbial engine robust through clean fats and through, you know, healthy protein, but most importantly, plant-based phytonutrients. So anything that gives a food or an herb or a botanical, that color or that smell, what comes to mind is the purples and, you know, blueberries and raspberries, the reds and collard greens and kale, all those things that, that we know that give we call them phytonutrients or phytochemicals. They really actually increase the diversity and the complexity and the stability of this microbial ecosystem. And that in turn helps us to burn fat better. That makes butyric acid, which is very biochemically similar to beta-hydroxybutyrate, the main ketone body that your listeners are probably familiar with. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we need these a healthy microbial ecosystem to detoxify estrogen, to balance our hormones, to reduce the risk of, of breast cancer, uterine cancer, and so forth, but also to keto adapt. And so it's, there's a lot of crosstalk between the microbial ecosystem and their their stability and mitochondrial function. And we know mitochondria are so key for keto adaptation, for the process of burning fat. So, you know, back to kind of your specific question, you know, so I, I love the idea of plant-based high fat diet with moderate animal protein and just a lot of vegetables from, you know, a wide array from grain free. And so that's the other thing too. So I know some of the human studies on improving bacterial diversity include whole grains, I'm not really a whole grain fan due to the, we can talk about some of the reasons why, but, uh, yeah, that, that's my approach. I think a lot of people could, no matter where you are on the spectrum of low carb, high fat, and so forth, uh, we could all improve our health by just eating more green leafy vegetables. We are so on the same page. Nice. <laughs> yes, totally. Because I did, I did the classic ketogenic approach with the bacon and the eggs, and the bacon and the eggs, and the pepperoni, and the you know all the things, and I didn't feel well. <laughs> right. I didn't feel well. Although you know my ketones were registering really well, uh, my hormones were horrible, my adrenals totally crashed, my thyroid crashed. So, I mean, yeah, I think, and I know for a fact that you can have a ketogenic diet while also focusing on those phytonutrients. And I love that that's your approach too, because I know for me personally, the other approach just did not feel good in my body and a lot of others too. And your wife, she tried the ketogenic diet and she mentioned in, in one of your videos, just how little bit how different things were for her, like her and her body and for women. Do you find that in your practice that women's bodies are a little bit different with this approach than men's bodies? Yeah, that's an awesome point. And it is so individual and particularly gender specific. And I found, you know, we found clinically and just a lot of feedback that we get through our e-courses online and in communication with folks online that, that there's, a, for a lot of women, yeah, that, that adaptation, the cyclical nature of hormones and stuff, there, there's a lot of inter-individual variability there. And, and so, I, again, I think if we get lost in the weeds of only focusing on ketones, that's where problems occur. Because mm -hmm. like you mentioned, you know, you're, you're eating quote-unquote low-carb foods like bacon and cheese and meat and eggs and so forth. But those foods don't really like improve your body's ability to detoxify, to, you know, metabolize estrogen, to get rid of synthetic hormones and compounds in our air, food, and water that will affect hormone regulation and ovulatory function. So I wonder, you know, and my suspicion is that that is kind of the primary reason as to why uh, and there's many other reasons, right? But mm -hmm. I think like lack of bowel motility. I mean, this is kind of a total sidestep, but I'll answer your question directly. So when I when I talk to different doctors, David Jockers and Zhang Rowe and others, you know, that that have a pulse on both the ketogenic diet and the microbiome, 
One of the things, interestingly, that they bring up quite a bit in terms of like a variable or a factor that can help people keto adapt is getting the bowels moving, like literally going number two, you know, on mm. a regular consistent basis. Now, why is that? Because when when, our, when we're constipated and we're not eliminating, you know, the, the toxins from our body and also the food that we're not absorbing, things get recirculated. Estrogens get recirculated, compounds get recirculated, and that seems to affect keto adaptation, blood sugar, stress, and, and so forth. So, you know, the gut is so important here. And so I, th I think a big kind of trend on the internet is just cut out your carbs, eat a lot of bacon, go back to the old school mm -hmm. Atkins approach. And that's mm -hmm. quote unquote, a ketogenic diet. And then that's where we see people, you know, yeah, like you said, ketones are high, but then they feel bad or their, their menses is off and, and all that. And so I think if we take a step back and just look at, you know, kind of the big picture of longevity and optimal health and fertility and vitality, you know, we definitely need to include these vegetables and so forth and not really get caught up or tripped up with high levels of ketones. Now, I think, you know, if you have brain cancer or metastatic breast cancer and you're really trying to keep millimolar ketones at over five, for example, for, for those reasons, that's a little bit different, but I, I still think it's good to get those vegetables in and particularly for women to keep the hormones, to, you know, this, if, if we're not going to the bathroom, especially number two on a regular basis, you know, estrogen gets recirculated. It's this process known as enterohepatic recirculation. And so you can literally just recirculate all the estrogen that your liver dumps. And then you can get increased risk of various estrogen related cancers and autoimmune diseases and so forth. So, you know, I think the big picture is, and women are much more intuitive and listen to their inner emotions compared to men I, I've mm. found. And so I think just listen to your body. You know, if you're craving a banana or an apple, like just eat it. Yeah, it may not be ketogenic or whatever, but just listen to your body and then, you know, eat commensurate, you know, with your activity level. So on days that you're really active, it's okay to have a little bit more of carbohydrate, you know, or if you're menstruating and you're craving dark chocolate, just have a little bit. Don't go overboard or beat yourself up, up over it. But it, it's really important to listen to that intuition. And so, you know, kind of the mistake that my wife was making is she was really orthodox, dogmatic, intermittent fasting, ketogenic, and would go for a month without getting her period. And she was very consistent, you know, throughout her life. And then she lost so much fat that, you know, libido changed and, and everything. And, and so she didn't really notice it right when she was doing it. She thought, oh, this, this will correct over time. And I'm doing the right thing. Cause you, you get, when you're a hammer, everything's a nail, right? So if you're focused on just ketogenic, you think, oh my gosh, those onions, they have prebiotic. Oh, I can't have that. And so we are cooking the same things that we've been cooking. She's like, no, 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 don't put leeks or onions or radicchio in that. I'm like, what? That's weird. Okay, whatever. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to do it, you know, kind of thing. And so once she realized that her, she was compromising her, her health at the expense of, you know, maintaining ketosis, that it probably was going a little bit too far. You know, it's not really worth compromising your long-term health, vitality, and increasing your risk of, of disease to to just have low body fat for an Instagram picture or whatever it is, right? So, yeah, I think, you know, to answer your question, it, it's so individual. And that's why this self-experimentation, become your own expert. You know, people always want to know what's the diet? What do you eat every day? What's the plan? What are your macros? And, and everyone's macros and diet is so different. And so just start tinkering and testing, you know, with the ketonics breath meter or blood glucometers, blood ketones, and just figure out what works for you because that's going to change over time. And what works for you is going to be totally different from the guru or the, the books that are out there. So really tinker and test. Yeah, words to live by, 100%. <laughs> totally. And so you mentioned moderate protein a little bit. Let's get into protein on a ketogenic diet because there, from my you know view, I find like a lot of people on one end are very, very afraid of protein on a ketogenic diet. Like I've met women that are like, I've had 10 grams of protein for four weeks and I'm keto adapted and I feel great. And so, mm -hmm. and on the other end, eating probably too much protein. So what are your thoughts on protein on a ketogenic diet? Yeah, this is an awesome point. And I, I agree with you. There's so much confusion because I, I think 
and there's a lot of great quote unquote experts and gurus in the ketogenic space. And, and I'm not trying to say that I'm one at all, but I do see people online talk about, you know, the sphere based thing about gluconeogenesis mm-hmm. and this formation of, of sugar from other non-sugar substrates like protein and fat, you know, so people get scared of protein because they think it's going to raise blood sugar and then that's going to take them out of ketosis. But Really, like if, if you're in a ketogenic state, like your, your body's making ketones, guess what? Your body's also making glucose via gluconeogenesis. So these are not mutually exclusive processes, meaning that if you're making ketones that you can't have gluconeogenesis occurring at the same time. These are parallel pathways. So when insulin is low and glucagon and some of the counter-regulatory hormones like norepinephrine and epinephrine and so forth are upregulated when you're intermittent fasting, or when you're in a, when you're keto adapted, guess what? You're also making glucose from anew, from proteins and so forth. And so this happens anyway. And I think, so don't be scared of it. Like it doesn't mean that you should have 60 grams of protein per meal by any means, but don't be too freaked out that having 15 or 25 or 30 grams of protein from a very clean source, whether it's plants or animals, you know, eggs, grass-fed beef, lamb, bison, elk, things like that. And don't be scared of, of moderate protein because protein is very satiating. You know, it's very thermogenic, meaning it it's kind of stimulates fat burning. We know it repairs lean muscle mass. You know, there's, there's a lot of benefits there. So really don't be scared of it. And I think, you know, some people saw this gluconeogenesis and thought, oh, okay, well, that means that if, if you have too much protein, it back converts into sugar, mm-hmm. and then that turns off ketogenesis. That, that really doesn't happen. So, you know, my wife and I did make a video on this to kind of address that. And even Jeff Olick, one of the huge, you know, kind of modern day pioneers of the ketogenic diet for for athletes and, and for optimal health, you know, talks about that protein's very thermogenic, it's satiating, but that's not necessarily bad. And again, if you're making ketones, you're back converting because the body does need sugar, you know, for that's why we notice sometimes like when you've been keto adapted, it's not like your blood sugars at 50 and or 60. Sometimes it just cruises. It just the ebb and flow and the troughs and valleys of your blood sugar are more compressed, right? After a meal, your blood sugar might go up to like 110 instead of 180 or whatever. And so, you know, you're still going to be making sugar and if you're weight training, if you're doing CrossFit, if you're even doing intense yoga, your body's going to utilize sugar, you know, for that activity. And if you're not ingesting the sugar, you know, from from glucose and from foods, it's going to take dietary protein and back convert it. And there's nothing really wrong with that. You know, it's it's not the most energy efficient process for the body, but the body will do it. And the reason why I said that if you're doing CrossFit or resistance training or something that's anaerobic, you know, there's just not enough time for the, the muscles need that, that energy currency in the form of ATP, like right now, right? And so when you're doing those short duration, high intensity activities, making keto, utilizing ketones to make ATP is wonderful, but you need more time, meaning that's that will fuel you through a hike or a long walk or a canoe ride or cross country skiing. But if you're doing burst type training sessions, your body is going to preferentially use glucose for that. And so that's kind of the, the deal there. And, and I, so just to summarize, gluconeogenesis and ketogenesis, the formation of ketones, are parallel processes. They do happen at the same time. And I think what can throw you out of ketosis is excess dietary protein. And also, we should qualify what type of protein. So I just did a vlog on this and got a lot of comments and so forth. So milk, for example, is low glycemic. It's one of these paradoxical foods in the sense that it doesn't spike blood sugar, but it's insulinogenic. You're going to downregulate or turn the dimmer switch down on hepatic or liver ketogenesis. So the formation of ketones goes down. It's inversely correlated with insulin. Okay, so low blood insulin, high dietary fat, ketones, your liver is going to make a bunch of ketones. You know, if you have high insulin and you have high dietary fat, guess what? You're going to make fat. You're going to store fat. So one of the adaptations that occurs, you know, when people quote unquote keto adapt is the liver kind of reprograms its, its ability to make ketones more efficiently. Again, that process is known as ketogenesis and a a major down regulator of that is insulin. So any protein or any food for that matter that spikes your insulin is going to kind of keep you out of making ketones. And so milk, for example, and dairy in general is one of these proteins that can do that. And so I think people get 
talk or they go to a seminar and they hear that, oh, protein downregulates this. And we really need to specify what type of protein, how much, what's the context. You know, spiking insulin after an intense workout training or a long hike or cross-country skiing or whatever is a good thing. You want to repair, you know, your body and, and so forth from that activity. But if you're just sitting around or you're traveling or you're trying to lose weight, spiking insulin would be a bad thing. So, you know, I, eggs are not going to spike insulin unless there's something funky in it. And we, we obviously want locally prepared and, you know, healthy chickens and so forth that are at free range. But, you know, grass-fed beef, lamb, elk, and bison, they're not going to spike insulin. Yeah, if you have maybe 60 or 80 grams and you have so much amino acids and protein in your body, then you need to release insulin to deposit the, that those amino acids for storage. Then that can be a problem. But within the, the right context, 20 grams, 15 grams, up to 30 grams, I don't think it's going to be a major issue. And, and you know, I'm not just saying this like off the cuff, my wife and I for the past year have done a lot of testing and have found the uh, ketonics breath acetone meter to be very indicative and accurate. And so, you know, when we have a high vegetable, high uh, plant-based fat, avocado, nuts and seeds, you know, for the fat sources and a moderate amount of protein, we're cranking out breath acetone in the 60s. And so that's really suggestive of a, of a high, a mild to high nutritional ketosis. So yeah, I think make sure that you're testing. That's kind of the bottom line. Very cool. And so many things that I need to ask you now. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so gluconeogenesis, can it supply enough glucose to fuel, say, like high intensity interval training, um, like you mentioned CrossFit. And from what I understand, if people are training like CrossFit training every day, that that pathway might not produce enough glycogen for your body to properly perform would that be fair to say or do you feel like the gluconeogenesis or gluconeogenesis rather could supply enough for somebody that's doing those high intensity interval workouts mm -hmm. this is such an awesome question i'm glad you asked this you know it it really depends and i know that's not the answer that people want to hear but it mm -hmm. depends when your next training session is so for example if you do crossfit monday wednesday friday and you you're really pushing it like at your lactic acid threshold, meaning like your lungs are burning, your legs are burning, your arm, whatever body part you're moving is kind of burning and you can't do any more, that would be an indicative of what that is, is that's lactic acid buildup, right? So when we're doing those type of anaerobic, high intensity, short duration type movements, what we're doing is we're to fuel that, right? Like the cash that's needed, the currency, we literally, it's through a process known as glycolysis. So we literally take glucose, snip it in half and push it through this, this glycolytic pathway. And the byproduct of that is a lot of lactic acid. And so that's why your lungs burn. That's where your legs hurt. And you know, you, you, that's, you're not needing oxygen for that. And so here's the thing. So you build up a lot of metabolic waste, you, in the form of lactic acid, you really deplete your body's stores of, you know, in within the muscle, your muscle stores glucose and so forth. And also your, your liver stores glucose in the form of glycogen. So you're going to deplete that. Now, if your training session is 24 hours later, you're going to have enough time to re what's known as replenish that glycogen. So you're, even if you're consuming a high-fat diet, and so Jeff Olick has shown this, in high-fat endurance athletes compared to high-carbohydrate counterparts that are age match and, and all this sort of stuff. So, that, so he's been studying the, the, a group of like 25 or 30 keto-adapted athletes for a while. What, this is very interesting, Leanne. What he's found is that keto-adapted athletes actually replenish glycogen better than carb-adapted athletes, which is totally like, counter to what you would think. So you're like, how is the body able to do that? And what's really interesting is, and this is why people get such great results with CrossFit or with weight training in general. So, so when you deplete your glycogen, Right. Remember, I talked about glycolysis, splitting of sugar, making a lot of metabolic waste. When you do these short duration bursts, what you do is you totally deplete your body's glycogen. And so when your body, when you're done with that training session, your body's like, oh, my gosh, we have to replenish this. What are we going to do? So then fat burning increases, ketogenesis increases. And then while the body is replenishing the glycogen. So that's one way. So when you do cardio training, like for example, just let's just pause with that thought of glycogen replenishment and take a small sidestep. When you do long distance walking, hiking, running, you're burning primarily fat for fuel, 
right? You're not really utilized because you have a lot of time. You know, when you take the ketones through the mitochondria, you need a lot of oxygen. That's why you, you breathe heavy when you do running and so forth, cycling. And you're, you're, it's a very efficient way to burn fuel and to make ATP, to make cellular energy to move your muscles, right? And you don't burn a lot of glycogen. And so while you're burning fat during that activity, there's not much fat burning that occurs after endurance type training. In contrast, when you do these short duration, high intensity resistance training, and this can be even like intense yoga too, like power yoga, vinyasana, hatha yoga, where you're going through the motions very quickly and you get kind of winded, you know, doesn't have to be under a barbell, although that is a great method. You're breaking down that glycogen, and then guess what? Your fat burning increases for hours and hours after the exercise as a way to kind of uh, help your body to maintain its energy demand while replenishing that glycogen. Okay, so it, it's kind of, it's, it's almost like, I don't know how to create an analogy, but you know, kind of the tortoise and the hare kind of thing, where where the hare would be, or the tortoise would be more fat burning, and then the the hare, the fast rabbit, would be kind of sugar burning. So when you're when you're burning all the sugar, you know, during activity, the hare's running really quickly. Then the tortoise afterwards is going to just kind of take that load, and so that's where the fat burning kind of increases after the exercise, and so that's why we see so much better metabolic benefits and fat burning benefits long term with resistance style training those short duration high intensity because your body tends to burn fat for hours and hours afterwards so you know what does this really mean on a practical level okay if you're competing if you're doing back-to-back -back workouts you might need to replenish your glycogen if and especially if you're not totally keto adapted yet like yeah you may have heard two months ago about this ketogenic diet thing, so you start eating more avocados and walnuts and whatever, but you're still eating carbs, then you don't really need to, to worry about it. But if you've been keto adapted for years, you can train no problem. Like, so for me, it's been a year and a half or so of really being serious about this. I can do consecutive high intensity, short duration workouts without having to replenish glycogen in the form of say sweet potatoes or starches. We don't eat a lot of starch, but it would be butternut squash or sweet potatoes or maybe some fruit. I don't really need to worry about that because the enzymatic machinery has been upregulated through years of doing this right through this keto adaptation period but for newbies people that are kind of just kind of dabbling with this you might actually be weaker you know initially because you're those those enzymes and metabolic pathways involved in resynthesizing that glycogen that you really deplete during the workout are not totally there yet so keep keep at it with a high fat dieting but you might need to in the post-workout window have some sweet potatoes, some butternut squash, you know, some apples, blueberries. You know, it doesn't mean go out and get a, a bunch of processed carbohydrates, maybe a little bit of rice, you know, things like that. But you don't need a bunch of pasta and all that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this falls so perfectly in line with my fat field program where I, you know, when people are first getting going, if they're training and they haven't built up, built up rather that enzymatic process, it's really helpful. I've seen multiple times as well as myself when I was first getting going to kind of have carbs once in a while when I needed them. But now I find I can go long, long periods of time with those really intense yoga sessions and my body feels just fine. But I know my brother-in-law, um, he is a coach and we always talk about gluconeogenesis and we argue back and forth on mm -hmm. whether, your, whether your body can supply enough glucose. So I'm really going to share this episode with him because I totally win. Um, <laughs> right. And, and then um, another question that I had for you, um, you were talking about not having enough protein. We just touched on that lightly, but let's say that somebody's not eating enough protein and their body requires, you know, a little bit of that glucose. So it's going through gluconeogenesis. What happens if there isn't enough protein? Totally. Yeah. I mean, you'll just be fatigued and weak. And so that's the thing. So you won't be able to embark on this glycolytic process. So, you know, it's not like, and you might notice that you're smaller and so that, that like less muscular. And so I know for men, this is a little bit more, you know, men generally have more muscle mass, but I know a lot of women know what I'm referring to as water retention as well. So around menses, you know, you retain a lot of water and you can look bloated and full. Well, you know, when you start keto adapting as well, you'll notice that your muscles just have this tighter kind of look and you're going to get more vascular. And so that's literally the, the glycogen because you're thriving more on fat burning. Your body doesn't need to store as much glycogen to maintain some of the processes and so forth. So you do kind of shed some of that water weight. But, you know, what people would notice if they're if they're kind of new to this and they really 
drop the carbohydrates, drop the protein very dramatically, and they're just kind of doing a, a lot of fat, maybe some fiber, they'll notice they get weaker. And so their recovery after an exercise is not very good. You know, their ability to maintain the muscle mass wouldn't be very good. And while they're performing that activity, they'll notice like maybe they could do I don't know, let's say whether it's downward dogs or, you know, warrior two, warrior three, some, some of those moves that, are, that require a lot of muscle activation or bench press or squats, whatever, they're, they're going to start failing where they didn't used to fail. And they're going to be like, gosh, why am I weaker? Why am I so tired? Why do I feel fatigued, lethargic? And so that's, you know, that's what that would, would mean. And that that's, and so we just go back to the drawing board, you know, so, so we cut it too far. So that's, I mean, that's not necessarily a bad thing. It just means that, okay, we need to increase the protein, maybe not do so much intermittent fasting, throw in another meal or increase the calories at some level. But it, it's very easy for people, you know, cause they hear what the guru does and they do what the guru does and it doesn't work for them. And so you just kind of kind of tinker and test, but there's going to be a lot of trial and errors. People are trying to figure it out for themselves. You know, when you're first doing this, you know, like you mentioned, Leanne, and you're doing intense work, you might actually, what we call in the endurance space, I used to do competitive bike racing and stuff. We would call it bonking. What that means is that your blood sugar and your glycogen is totally depleted. So your liver is out of storage, your muscles are out of storage, and you're not totally keto adapted or you're doing too much anaerobic activity. So literally you're adrenals and everything is firing to try to raise blood sugar and, and back convert protein like via gluconeogenesis. And so you're going to be very shaky, lightheaded. You're going to want glucose right away. If you've ever had that feeling, you know, it's very uncomfortable, but people will probably, if they're pushing themselves in the gym or in the yoga studio, Pilates, pure bar, whatever it is, if they're, if you're pushing yourselves and you're keto adapting, you might experience that periodically. And so that just means that your body's adjusting, that you probably didn't have enough carbohydrates and, and your ability to resynthesize glycogen and keto adapt was not there. But, but specifically you were doing a lot of anaerobic activity and you didn't quite have enough glucose and so forth. So, you know, that might mean having a small piece of fruit before you train or after you train and yeah, making sure you're getting enough protein. The podcast is partnered with Vital Proteins. You guys know how much I love Vital Proteins. Their collagen peptides, collagen protein, also known as beef gelatin, as well as the marine collagen has just been transformed into stick packs. So if you love their products just as much as me, but you're sick and tired of putting your collagen or gelatin into little baggies yourself, they've done it for you. Each stick pack has 10 grams of either your collagen peptides, your beef gelatin, or your marine collagen all in one little pack that you can put in your purse, you can take with you camping, you can even bring them on holidays. Each box comes with 20 stick packs. Super excited about this. You can stock up on your stick packs and other awesome things from Vital Proteins by going to vitalproteins.com and using the coupon code VPHP10 for 10% off your entire order plus free shipping in the U.S. And so you mentioned cortisol a little bit. How would adrenal dysfunction play into all of this? Because a lot of women listening have been pushing themselves at the gym for 20 years plus, probably haven't been eating enough, and their adrenals are a little bit sad. Would that also affect their ability to fat adapt or be able to feel pretty good on a ketogenic diet? Yeah, that's a really good point. I, I think it, there's a huge role there. And, you know, cortisol is, is very involved in blood sugar regulation. I don't know the specifics on how cortisol directly affects ketogenesis, but but we do know that it affects insulin and insulin sensitivity. And so, yeah, you know, if, if you've really been burning the candle at both ends and, and not taking care of our body and looking out for everyone else and working hard and, and, and doing excessive cardio because you heard, you know, the calories in calories out model was kind of the way to stay lean, mm -hmm. then definitely take it easy, right? Because your blood sugar, you're probably, there is some low grade, I hate to use the word metabolic damage, but kind of some low grade insulin resistance going on. And, and mm -hmm. what we see in that kind of situation where there's been a lot of calorie restriction, a lot of excessive cardio, is definitely insulin resistance and thyroid issues and like you mentioned adrenal issues and actually we, we need adrenaline and noradrenaline you know one of the things one of these are quote unquote counter regulatory hormones these hormones actually help us burn fat believe it or not and so they're released from the adrenals and so if, if you have 
HPA axis, so the hypothalamus pituitary adrenal axis, it's all interconnected, right? So so when you're overtraining, when you're not meditating or doing any mindfulness-based activity, you know, that, that whole axis becomes dysregulated at some level. And so I have a video with a hormonal health expert, Carrie Jones, and the title was somewhat controversial and got some kickback from it, but it was that does adrenal fatigue really exist? And it may not. Like, yeah, we know that the adrenals become dysfunctional, but is it at the hypothalamus? Is it within the brain or is it within the adrenals or the periphery? Like there's so many moving parts and at some level it doesn't really matter, but we need to make sure that people while they're keto adapting or, or even if they're not keto adapting, if they just want to be healthy, embark on some stress reduction, mindfulness inducing behavior. One of my favorites is meditation. There's a great app called the Muse Meditation Headband. Insight Meditation Timer is wonderful. But very simplistically, people can do heart rate variability analysis. And so that would give you some feedback as to whether or not you quote unquote have some of this metabolic damage, whether you've been burning the candle at both ends for a while, because that will show up in that you the beat to beat variability within consecutive heartbeats will be minimized or reduced. And at first that may, may sound like a good thing, but it's actually a very bad thing. And we know that a lot of beat to beat variability within the heart is a strong suggester that a strong biomarker, if you will, that you're in a parasympathetic tone and that, you know, our nervous system is kind of partitioned into the sympathetic fight or flight response. And then the parasympathetic is rest and digest and procreate, you know, so when we're feeling really zened out after a yoga class, after Tai Chi, even after activity or exercise, or interestingly, like a cold shower, you know, if anyone takes a cold shower, which I'd recommend, that's a great way to increase your, your heart rate variability. But anyway, th this could be a proxy for this overtraining type syndrome or overworking syndrome or over parenting. You know, we know a lot of women, you know, they feel like they need to help everyone else out first at the expense of their body. And I was watching a video yesterday, a friend of mine, he, he's in the personal development space and he was talking about, you know, when you go on an airplane, you know, they say, should the airplane depressurize and the ga the mask come down first? If you're traveling with someone else, put your mask on first. And at first that may seem kind of selfish, like what, like, shouldn't you like help your daughter or your, your son or something? But you know, if push comes to shove and, and there's limited oxygen and you're trying to fiddle around with your child's face mask, you know, f to supply oxygen and it doesn't get on correctly, you both could die. Right. And you wouldn't make it. And so we need to, to, to kind of come back full circle, put our, especially as women and mothers and parents and grandparents, you know, put yourself first, not to be selfish, but you need to consider your own health. And, and part of that is really slowing down and taking a breath and learning how to meditate and, you know, learning how to unwind. Because when you do unwind, when you do slow down and, and so forth, you increase these gut hormones. There's 26 different hormones released from our intestine that regulate insulin sensitivity, insulin release, and guess what? Keto adaptation, they downregulate inflammation. So if you're always go, 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 you've been overtraining for a while, you've been doing chronic cardio, calorie restriction, but these gut hormones are totally suppressed. And so you know, back when I discovered this, because people don't often talk about these gut hormones, as you know, Leanne. So when I discovered this research back in 2000, let's see, it was 2009, I was blown away that scientists found that when people restrict their calories and do yo-yo diets and chronic cardio, these gut hormones that I mentioned are so critical for all our metabolic and fat burning processes can become downregulated for up to 18 months wow. after just a two-month calorie restricted yo-yo type diet. So imagine someone that's been doing this for years and years and then they hit 40 or 50 or 60 and they're like, I'm doing everything right and I just keep gaining weight. Like, what mm -hmm. am I doing? And I think these gut hormones play a huge role. And again, so to come full circle, how can we augment that by slowing down, by meditating? Like this is therapy, especially for the ketogenic style dieter, learn how to meditate or do heart rate variability biofeedback because that can really... Uh, first of all, it will improve your life and slow down hair loss and graying of hair and aging, but it will really help you to keto adapt. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Two things that I swear by is acupuncture because I get so zened out by that. And um, you mentioned a couple of apps too, and I really like the Calm app. It teaches you how to meditate from the very beginning through, and it's just a really nice way if people are like, meditation, I don't even know what that is. Um, it's a really nice way of, of introducing yourself to it. So those are really, really awesome tips. Now, we talked about how eating too much protein 
can cause like like we're talking like way too much protein can cause an increase in glucose just uh, throwing the idea out there if if somebody is adapting and they haven't quite built up those enzymatic processes yet to be able to handle you know burning fat for fuel efficiently throughout all different sorts of activities we mentioned you know having carbs like having a little bit of carbs to mitigate that could somebody also use protein to mitigate that instead would that Mm. work that is very super interesting and i haven't really thought about that i'm sure there wouldn't be an issue with that again it's so much easier to undergo when you're doing the burst training and so forth that glycolysis it's very easy to just you know split sugar into and mm-hmm. make make atp that will fuel your muscles whereas when you back convert gluconeogenesis and so forth via protein it's not as quick and so forth so yeah people can try and experiment with that and i mean it's not like it the idea is that outlandish a lot of competitive bodybuilders and fitness models they do this very thing and so what they do is when they're they keep their calorie intake the same you know as when they're bulking maybe a little bit more when they're bulking but when they're cutting you know they don't want to lose muscle right so when you're this is inevitable if you're going to lose fat right you're going to lose some muscle mostly Uh, not a whole lot but maybe half pound a week or or a quarter pound a week something like that you know if you if you're doing a lot of cardio and a lot of cutting but anyway, what the bodybuilders and fitness models will do is some of them are not totally in tune, by the way, with this whole ketogenic style of, of fat loss. But what they'll do is, is have multiple meals a day, keep the protein very high, 300 to 500 grams of protein per day and like wow. almost no carbs. And so that's what they're doing. They're still training at a high level. They're still doing cardio, but they've just kind of supplanted or replaced any carbohydrates with dietary protein. Again, why? Because protein is thermogenic. It helps fat burning. It's satiating, uh, and it can help preserve lean muscle mass and so on. But you know, you still someone that w- would do what you said. So replace the carbs with the protein. They might still notice a little bit of fatigue. You know, and so the cool thing about when you're keto adapting is when you do throw the carbs in, you can have like the best workout of your life. You're like, oh my mm-hmm. gosh, like what is new? This is like crazy, and you feel this this pump and this vascularity and so forth. So I would just make sure that especially a fat loss or preventing weight gain over time is someone's primary goal. Just make sure that you're doing like a kind of a quote unquote higher carb day one to two days a week and just put your carbs before or after exercise. Like that's when our body utilizes them the most. And really, I mean, I kind of look at carbohydrates almost like a look at caffeine. I'm not going to have caffeine right before I go to bed. I'm going to have caffeine when I really need that extra boost. And that's generally, you know, when I'm feeling sluggish or want to go on a long, vigorous hike or cross country ski or hit the weight room. That's when I want to take that caffeine. And so interestingly, that's also a good time to have your carbohydrates. Brilliant. Amazing. Thank you so much. You shared so many things. I have lots of notes to put um, in the show notes. And you mentioned a couple of things that I'll also put in the show notes, including the link to your book, some of the videos that we mentioned. I'll link out to your YouTube channel so people can watch those if they're more curious about all the things that you do. Yeah. Thanks so much for being on the show, Mike. You totally crushed it. My pleasure. My pleasure, <laughs> Leanne. Thanks for the opportunity. This is fun. Yeah, you bet. And that does it for another episode of the Keto Diet Podcast. Thanks for listening in. You can follow me on Instagram by searching Healthful Pursuit, where you'll find daily keto eats and other fun things. And check out all of my keto supportive programs, bundles, guides, and other cool things over at healthfulpursuit.com forward slash shop. And I'll see you next Sunday. Bye.